Welcome to the Steadfast Carlsbad podcast. This morning's message was taken out of our 10 a.m. service. Let's jump right in, and we hope you're encouraged. Thanks for tuning in. We're starting a new book today. We're going to be starting in James, in the book of James. Uh, And I'm really excited. We kind of coincided home groups to start with this, so that we were kind of like starting it at the same time. Um, And the tag, I guess, for for the book is tried and true. Um, this is a gritty book, uh, really gritty. It's, uh, it's written by James, who is believed to be Jesus' half-brother, James the Just. Um, we'll get a, into a little bit more of his background in a second. Uh, James is, is one of, believed to be one of the earliest, if not earliest, New Testament books written. It's written to Jewish believers as a whole, which is uh, kind of speaks to maybe that was almost everyone at this point was the church was mostly Jewish. Uh, and, and we know that James, when Peter had gone off, James had become the, you know, the head of the church in Jerusalem. So, uh, yeah, it's, 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 but it is so powerful. It's like, uh, kind of like Proverbs in the New Testament. There's all these blocks of wisdom all over the place, uh, it's been kind of contested, especially for those who uh, have, I guess, misapplied uh, the, the Paul, Paul's view of faith um, and seen it as that works, there's no place for works in faith. James argues that faith produces works. James does not argue that, uh, that your works are what save you, but that a faith, a transformative faith, should have transformative powers in your own life, which would mean works. So a lot of it is kind of like, I think a lot of it had to do with like Luther had some issues, uh, especially because think about what he's fighting against. I mean, the extreme works-based stuff. So anyway, it wasn't helpful at that time for him, but I think it's, it's extremely helpful, especially for the day and age and era in which the church we live in. I think we're we're far less likely to become legalistic. Uh, but we, we could grow in, in you know, actually having it work out in our lives a little bit more than it does at this point, right? Uh, so we're saved by grace and by faith, but this is the outflow, uh, yeah, anyway, through that. So it's, it's, a, it's a book that's full of like these cool pictures, these little wisdom nuggets that have really lasting impact. And so I'm really excited. It's written to a persecuted church, uh, they're going through a lot. James himself is going through a lot. He's going to be martyred not long after that. After this, we're going to get into that too. Uh, but yeah, I'm excited. You guys excited? Sweet. I like gritty. I like the gritty books. So, <laughs> well, let's read. We're going to read James chapter one, verses one through eight. We'll pray and we'll get started. If you guys would stand, that'd be great. <clears throat> James, a bondservant of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may, uh, be, uh, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. 
For, not, not, for let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let's pray. Lord, we, as we approach this, this letter, this book, um, Lord, we pray you'd search us and know us and reveal to us all the ways we're windswept and moved around and um, uprooted and disoriented and all of that, how easily we are swayed by so many things. And help us to build a foundation that we wouldn't be double-minded, we'd be single-minded. We'd know who we are and what we're about. And that that would produce actual transformative works in our lives that the world would be able to taste and see and know you through our lives. Because of what you did in us, it can be done in them. So, God, we pray that you pour out your spirit on us. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys may be seated. So starting off right off the bat, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. Uh, so James, in Matthew 13, uh, starting at verse 54, we get a little bit of the background. James, who we believe to be James, the brother of Jesus, James the just. Uh, speaking of Jesus, when he had come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue. So they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son, is this, is, and is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Where did this man get all these things? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country, in his own house. Now he did not, now uh, he did not do mighty works because of their unbelief. John 7, 5 says, For even his brothers did not believe in him. What is wild is that James grew up with Jesus and did not know, did not believe he was the Messiah. Um, throughout history, it's kind of gone back and forth where there's been an emphasis as Jesus in his deity, Jesus in his humanity. I think this is a resounding uh, defense of his humanity. Like that, that he, little Jesus wasn't like going through walls and wasn't producing extra food at the dinner table. You know, he was, he was not like flying in the room or walking on the bathtub water. Because that would have been something that James would have noted. You know, Everyone's families are different, but my brother, I don't know if you have this, he walks on water. Um, and the things that were the character things where we look at and we go, Jesus is perfect without sin, it's very, very possible that a brother would miss that in a sibling. Uh, and so for whatever reason, he's, he probably thinks, you know, he's probably annoyed at how good he is and probably also loved him too, but he did not believe he was the Messiah. What we see, and this seemingly is probably his, 
the time where he is converted, is in 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul's talking about Jesus uh, resurrecting from the dead and being seen by these eyewitnesses. So starting at verse 3, it says, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures, that he was seen by Cephas, which is Peter, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the prophets, then last of all, but seen by me also, as, as by one born out of due times, Paul speaking. So when Jesus comes back, you know, I love this. I, this is, Jesus is so personal. Because I think he was seen by his, he was seen to his family. Another one of Jesus' half-brothers, or believed to be so, is Jude, uh, who wrote Jude, the one-chapter powerhouse. Uh, we went through it, a, gosh, it was a long time ago now, because Hebrews took like a year. Um, but they, they were both didn't believe, and then they did. And so Jesus went and met with him, just like Peter, right? Peter has blown it with Jesus, and he's like, hey, Peter, come on, let's go talk. Let's go have breakfast. Let's hang out. And he goes and he hangs out with him and he talks with him and he restores him. He doesn't leave anything undone. He, he doesn't leave his brothers without a witness to like what they'd seen. So he goes and he talks to James. James starts a little later in this, but he absolutely did not, as soon as he knew Jesus was the Messiah, he was hardcore. He was all in. We see he, he was a man that was devout. We see him in Acts chapter 1, which would be, of course, shortly after. Acts chapter 1, verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. And when they had entered, they went up to the, into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, and Andrew, and Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. So we have, he's hanging out with the apostles. He's now become one of them. Uh, then we see he was there when Peter was freed from prison in Acts 12. James is there. Uh, and he helped to lead and kind of head up uh, the council at Jerusalem, where they were dealing with some of the old works of the law and, and removing that from their faith in Jesus. James was part of that process. It's believed this letter was actually written before that. So there were some clarifying parts to all of that. Like, uh, anyway. So he was the leader of the church in Jerusalem uh, after Peter left and he was planting churches. He was known, uh, a historian Eusebius uh, gave testimony that James was so dedicated to kneeling and praying for the people that he had calluses on his knees like the knees of a camel. He was, he was hardcore. He would later be martyred not much longer after this, maybe with, within 20 years or so. A lot of people believe this book was written early 40s AD. Uh, again, the Council of Jerusalem, which was the first like, ecumenical council, was 49. If you, the, we talked about that in our church series. But, um, so he was martyred. The way he died was he was forced to jump off a pinnacle of the temple. And uh, then he did not die. And, in, and as, as the story goes, he's sitting there praying for the people who made them do it, much like Stephen, much like Jesus, something about that Holy Spirit thing. 
And so they either, there's a couple different reference uh, stories. They either beat him to death or they stoned him to death. Neither one's great. Some people said they like clubbed him. Great. But he was the real deal. And this letter is a powerful witness to true Christianity applied in a real world setting. This is, this is not the prosperity gospel. This, is no, this has nothing to do with that. It's uncomfortable. Uh, this, it will actually will be avoided. You will hit small little sections and then bounce because this is, this is gritty. But life is gritty. And this is the kind of faith that can endure storms. This is the type of faith that, you, you know how James can, why James can speak to that? Because he's been there and he's done that. He's, a, he's, he's already been part of that process. And of course, he would eventually become the end of that. So this letter, uh, it, it represents the original Messianic like Jewish church, the original uh, church, and that's who he's writing to. So a bondservant of God and the, of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings. It's kind of the background there. Uh, James, so we, we are, I wouldn't do what he just did. I, w- I would be like James, the brother of Jesus Christ, you know? Like if that was my brother, I think I would probably flex on that a little bit, you know? Because we kind of flex on less. I'm friends with this guy. Well, you know that person's cousin, maybe, you know? I don't think you're friends with them. Even like the idea of calling people friends is funny, like, Oh, I'm friends with them. You mean you follow each other on social media? Have you, do you know, how tall are they? I don't know. That's just my friend. What do you, well, we've liked each other's stuff before. You're like, got it. Friends it is. Um, but James and Jude, who are brothers, both decided to say, when they were describing themselves, James a bondservant, a, a doulos, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, he was convinced his brother was God because brothers don't do that. They would, would never do that. A slave of my brother, you know, and of the Lord. Yeah, right. You're not getting any of that credit. But who would do that, right? No, it's because he had become completely convinced that Jesus was the Messiah and so he was willing to give his whole life over to that. And that is the type of um, commitment that it takes to really walk in faith and, and see God move in your life. And what we're going to see in James a lot is how the, the double mind is, it, it, it does not work. Trying to do this and that, it just, they don't work. You'll be miserable and you'll be swept to and fro all over the place and you just, it's just not going to work. And so he's saying, my allegiance is to Jesus, and I am a slave. I've given away my rights. All of me, is to, uh, every part of me is given over to him and to his service. So he's writing it to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. Why are they scattered abroad? Persecution. They've been persecuted. When Stephen was killed, there was rampant persecution that came in and they were going all over the place. So, uh, verse two, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. He gets right, this is verse two, you know. Told you, he's gonna get right into it. Verse two, count it all joy. You get a text message from someone and they get right into it. You're like, come on, give me at least a couple sentences that are nice. Hey, how's it going? How's this thing going? By the way, Okay, 
Brethren, count it all joy. So this is written to believers, my brethren, and he's telling them to count it or consider it or to regard it a way to rejoice when you encounter various trials. The word for trials is tests and temptations. All the things that come against you that are unsettling, that are uncomfortable, that are no fun at all. Count it all joy. And so he's asking him not to say it, not to just like, you know, be like, wow, this is really fun. And you know what? This sounds like a great thing. You go like, yes, I love that for you. I love that for your life. So when a friend's going through it, you're like, man, I just feel like I'm under all these trials. Well, you know what James says? It's to count it all joy when you're facing these kind of trials. So it's the word of God, so, you know. And they're just like, thanks. But then all of a sudden when it comes on you and you go, where are you, God? I am not counting it all joy. In fact, I'm counting it very inconvenient. But the idea of counting it joy is, as we said, it's to consider a regard. It's a processed response. This is something you can understand over time. Um, you know, one of the first times you maybe work out, uh, especially, I remember, you know, playing football. This was the thing, right? Hell week is that. It's terrible. The only thing I feel like that keeps you going during hell week is seeing the people who have never experienced it before suffer way worse than you. And you're just like all, oh, yeah, it hasn't even come yet. Like, you, it's, it's just, this is nothing. We're warming up. We're doing plyos. Like, this is to get you warm. You have no idea what's coming. Hell is coming. By the way, it's going to be 110 today. Did you know that? Start eating bananas and drinking Gatorade right now because the cramps are coming. Um, but this, this is like uh, knowing, knowing what it produces. This is why people get up early in the morning and break down their muscles before they go to work and suffer and strain. You ever see someone working out? It doesn't look pleasant. You know, they don't, it doesn't look like they're like, oh. You know, what does it look like? They're like, you know, and you're just like, Pop, there's veins, you know, and stuff like that. Breathe, man, breathe. It's terrible looking, and sometimes it feels terrible. And the, but the process is because you count it worthy of the pain because of what you, the gain you get out of it on the other side. So there's a considering. So we, we do this micro. This is micro. Like, we, 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 we understand it, though. You understand that running is terrible, but afterwards it kind of feels better and then you're able to run longer and then you're able to do the things that you want to do. These are all like micro. So we get that. But when we fall into trials, it hits us at a much deeper level. It's not just minor discomfort. It's like, it's like your whole life is up in turmoil and, and disorder. And if we don't have language for this or an understanding of this, uh, to count it all joy, not to say that it feels like it's all joy, but to count it because of what it produces. So uh, we're going to be going through these count it all joy. There's, a, there's three of them. The first one is we're able to count, it, uh, to count trials all joy because we value what trials produce. Verse three, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. 
knowing, the Greek word is gnosko, that the testing of your faith produces patience, like a purity test for gold. Testing, it tests our allegiance, and it produces in us something that is very valuable. It burns off the impurity and shows just how impure our faith really is. It really shows us where our ultimate allegiances align. And a lot of times we find it's comfort. It's nothing wrong with comfort. I like comfort. Like, I don't sleep on a bed of nails. You know, Tori, Tori got this thing for Christmas that you lay on. It's an acupuncture thing. And it's like, not, it's, it's not nail. Don't worry, it's not nails. It's like this, it's just, you know, whatever. It's good for your circulation or something. But it's basically nails. Uh, I mean, Violet <laughs> tripped and fell on it and it cut her arm. So you tell me. Uh, but I like was laying on it and she's just like, this is great, you know? And I'm like, okay, well, I'll try it. And then she gets up, she looks like she has a sunburn or something. And I try it and I'm like all, oh, I'm stuck to it. Like it's like literally sticking to me. Jeremy's falling asleep on it, right, Jeremy? That's very impressive, you know? But like it's this, this gnarly thing. I, I'm choosing not to sleep on that. I, you know, I like my bed. There's nothing wrong with comfort. There's nothing wrong with, you want your home to be comfortable. You know, we're not going to ask our home groups to like freeze everybody out so that they feel uncomfortable and ready for boot camp for Jesus. It's not a bad thing. But when it becomes a God, it is a bad thing. When it says, well, if I have to choose between following you, God, and comfort, well, comfort wins. So all the things that are seemingly could be very good things, like say a spouse or your kids, or a friend, or even the church ministry stuff, it can be, it gets tested with, what happens if I take that away? Am I enough? And the answer to that will, uh, will show us how mature we are. And, and the, the faster we can find joy in knowing, all right, Lord, been through this one before. <laughs> what are you doing? I don't know, but I'm going to count it joy because I remember last time that we went through this, you, were, you remained faithful, you were with me. Um, it still didn't turn out how I wanted it to, but uh, I more than ever don't want to leave. That is like what this produces. That is what trials produce. Knowing because we can count it all joy because we know that this testing is producing something in us. What is our faith made of? You take a tea bag, and they all look pretty similar, right? But you put it in hot water, one might turn green, one might turn pink, one might turn brown. What reveals it? It's the hot water. You put it in the hot water, and then all of a sudden the flavors come out, everything comes out, and that's kind of what testing does. It shows us where we're really at. Kind of like the Snickers commercials, you know? If you're hungry, you become a monster? Well, then maybe you're a monster, you know? Or maybe you're just hungry, I don't know. But trials show us what we value most. That's, that's something that's really important. So trials show us what we value most because it's a litmus test. You, you, pull, you push on something, if it doesn't hurt, then it's, it's not that valuable. But as soon as you find that thing, then that has become, that shows you that this is something that is out of alignment and we need to fix it. 
Trials have that ability. Um, so we have to ask ourselves, how do we view success? Is it, um, you know, that we kill it in business? Is it that we are able to live a comfortable life and have a million vacations or whatever? Or is it that God is building in us a character that leaves a legacy behind? The life that people will look back on and go, you know, I wasn't into God until I, I met that person and then I felt like I finally understood like what it meant to follow Jesus. Like I, I felt like I actually met someone who represented him. This is the character issues. Not just comfort, but character. We're looking for, that's, that's how you can count it all joy. So it's not a flippant like, just count it all joy and you're like, uh, you know, where you're starting to do this whole Gnostic whatever kind of like Buddhist thing where you're like, you know, all of this is bad and I'm just going to disconnect and move on and, you know, life is, is messy. Disconnect and smile, you know, full lumbotomy and just move on. You know, that's not it. That's not what it's about. It's not about acting like you're happy. It's about counting it joy because something that is toxic in you has been revealed and you get to work it out. I mean, that's the hard thing, right? And it's not, I'm not mean this in any sort of like, that it's not brutal and that it doesn't always, doesn't mean, it, it happens to the just and the unjust. Those who love the Lord and those who don't, maybe there is something in us that isn't fully bad, but it's just like you're going through it and you find out, all right, well, then this reason wasn't to like necessarily refine my character, but it was to show me that God is faithful in the place that I didn't even know I would possibly have to go. And then God will use that. So there's the joy. God uses these brutal seasons to both uh, upend our false gods and to fortify our trust that he can take us through the good, the bad, and the ugly And the joy is basically looking at it, we, the, what we consider joy is looking at what he's doing in me, that it's actually accomplishing something. Again, my reference to football, sorry, but we would do sprints and plyos. I hated plyos so much. You know, the, we would have to do the duck walks, which is lunges. You'd have to go like 50 yards, just I hated them so much. Well, until you run your 40 and you've gained like 0.3 seconds and you're way faster, and you're way stronger, and you, and all of a sudden you, you, like, whoa. I guess that was for something, and I guess it was really important that I allowed that to happen. Or when you're in a championship game, you're glad that you were lifting all summer. You're glad that what the pain that had been worked out of you, you you're going to need it now. Re, you're going to need it right now. So, what's the thing that he's producing? What is this? The testing of our faith produces patience. Uh, the, patient, the word for patience is uh, hypomone, hypomone uh, which is steadfastness uh, to stay or to reside. It's, it's not like just like kind of sitting back like, hmm, you know. Patience is going to help me be like, okay, let go and let God. It's not necessarily that. It's like steadfastness. It's the ability to, to remain and, and if there's anything I've seen throughout my years of being a Christian, which is now, got saved in 2000, really, been in the ministry, is the people 
who remained and just hung around, God has done an amazing work in their life. Those who haven't, they're gone. They're just not around. And I'm praying a lot of them come back. Many have. But like there is something to just remaining. There's something to just continuing to follow the Lord. And, and sometimes, you know, when you first get saved, it's a sprint. I'll do anything for you, God. I'll reach all the nations. I'll book the trip right now. 20 years later or whatever, 10 years later, even five years later, you're like, I'm just, I'm, I, I just need to read. I know I need to read the Bible. I, need, I know I need to pray. Right now, I am not feeling it because my life feels like chaos. Remain. Abide. Stay steadfast. This is the, 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 what this testing produces when we are, choose to bring it to the Lord. It makes us stronger and gives us the ability to not be what we'll see in a second, swept to and fro uh, like the wind. And, and we have illusions of grandeur where we think we're going to be so good at remaining and residing and all this. I mean, like, you know, you go to a wedding and it's like these 19-year-old kids, you know, saying for richer, for poorer, you're like in sickness and in health, till death do your part, you're like, sure. Yeah, I guess, yeah. But then you like realize, do you know what you just signed up for? And have you seen the pain of when someone, when one of them gets sick, when the people get sick and they're like, I'm done with this, I'm over it, and bounce. You go like, do you remember? <laughs> like in those kind of things, do we remember these things? And this is, this is like the, that, that thing where we're always fighting against in the world around us. There's the struggle that there's these, these ideas that we're faithful and we want to be faithful, but God has called us into something way, way deeper than that. And when we do, we experience his perfect work in us. Uh, verse four, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. Let, let patience have its perfect work. Um, if you've been around for a while, perfect, you probably know perfect, it's like mature. Has its maturing work in us. So let patience mature our faith. We can be complete, not missing any of the major components. Um, there's, a, there's a commercial, it's on TV, where this couple makes, they make a table and they're like, wow, it looks really great. And, uh, and they go, what are all these extra parts? And they're like, looks okay to me. And then they put a purple soda on, on it, right? It's like it's a bounty commercial. They put like a purple drink on it. And then it's like, huh? And the legs fold. And it, now it's slow motion purple heading towards, yes, you guessed it, white rug. <laughs> You're missing some of the components. You know, if, when we were newlyweds, it was all Ikea all day. And there was, how many extra screws did they give us? Like, what, what was it supposed to be, you know? Uh, because I feel like I'm missing a few, few whole, I think I didn't do this right. Anyway, sometimes they give you extra anyway. I'm just going to tell myself that, you know, <laughs> until you bump into it and it's like, you know, that Ikea furniture is just like, it literally explodes, but it is heavy. Um, <laughs> so 
So th th this is to make us so that we're, we're perfect and we're not lacking anything. This is, this is what it means. This is how you build like a tried and true faith. This is what we desire. This is who we desire to be around. And this is who, the, who you will desire to be on your deathbed. All the other stuff's not going to really matter. All the other stuff's not really going to. And so all those, God is so good as to show us all the false gods in our lives that are so not worth investing in, that are taking up all of our resources and to go, look, let me make this real simple. This ain't worth it. None of this stuff is worth it. This is what you were created for. And if you sow into this, you're going to reap big rewards, rewards like you didn't imagine. Because we're so, so quick to get stuck into systems. Like, oh, okay, well, I guess this is what I'm doing now. Well, I've got to put everything into it. Why? Why do you have to put everything into that? The, the most important thing we could possibly do is to, for everything in your life, is to, is to make our, our faith central to everything we do. That, that makes you a better, it's a, I don't care what you are, you'll be a better employee, you'll be a better spouse, You'll be a better parent. You'll be a better kid. You'll be a better everything. Because you're aligned with the creator who's created you for good works. Now you're ready to, to be a part of that. He's working out all the stuff so that you and me be thoroughly equipped, lacking nothing, no missing parts. And so God, through these trials, through the pain, through the suffering, remember, remember, he's not without, he's not without patience for us and, and long-suffering for us. Because what does he say in Hebrews? Well, we have this, this high priest that sympathizes with our weaknesses, that understands the pain we go through, that wept himself when his friend died. He's not, it's, there's no belittling of it, but these bad things that maybe he's not necessarily pushing into our lives, these bad, gnarly, nasty things can be used for his glory, as we, we start to look, how is this affecting me? And people who've never been through anything have nothing to say. They have nothing to say. Why do we understand? Why can we listen to James? James has been there and done that. He knows. And that's why, unfortunately, to have a, a more fruitful ministry in whatever you do, to have a bigger impact, it probably means you have to go through something. It probably means that because we live in a fallen world, it's coming anyway. And that God will use all the pain and all the struggle and all the gnarliness for his glory. Second point, we're able to count trials all joy because we are not without help. So we are not without help. Verse five, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach and it will be given to him. So the Greek word for wisdom is Sophia. So Sophia is it's this it's promised it's to be given to all this this wisdom, and it's going to be given liberally, which is sincerely, sim simply, and generously. That's what the word means. Sincerely, simply, and generously, he'll provide to those who sincerely seek him. And then the third one, we are not able, or we are able to count. Trials all joy because they lead us to the rock in the midst of the stormy seas. Verses six through eight. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. 
For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man uh, suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded, unstable in all his ways. Let him who asks actually look for the answer. Let's say, like, Lord, give me wisdom. And then it's like, ah, you haven't, it didn't show up in my fortune cookie when I went to Panda Express. It hasn't been here yet. I opened up the Bible and I was looking for a verse and it wasn't there. It was something really weird. I was in Leviticus. I don't know. Something about animals. You know, that's not how it works. Right? So we're asking for wisdom. We're seeking it diligently. We're looking to God and the one who gives it to him, but he gives it to us with promise. And so he says, don't be like a double-minded man. The double mind is likened to one being subject to every change of circumstance, the continuous shifting of allegiance and the hope that is within. Um, faith, faith is allegiance. What you really, really what really, really matters, what really, really has your full allegiance to. Like at, at the end of the day, who, what has my greatest allegiance? There's certain things that you go, yeah, I mean, I'm down for that. But if they get in the way of like something with a higher place in your life, then they've got to go, right? You're like, yeah, you're a good friend. But if you're disrespectful to my family, you're not anymore. You've been outranked. <laughs> but our allegiance has to be set on the Lord. Our faith is set on Jesus, the finished work of Christ. And so we aren't double-minded. We're, we're not changed by every circumstance. If you find in your life, and it's easy to be here, because I've been there too, and I know what it feels like. Every little thing throws you so far every direction. Every little thing is just rocks your world. Like a ship without a rudder in a storm. You're just like, woof, woof, and you're getting rocked everywhere you go. Like that ball, that giant beach ball that we had at camp. That thing hits, man, I'm telling you. We had some shots. I had to like slow down, you know, because the kids. But, uh. Like, you get rocked by every little thing. Everything can, can ruin your, your whole day. Well, then, then that shows that maybe we're all over the place. Like a ship without a rudder. Without, we're not anchored. We have no foundation. So this double-minded man, which is someone who is about two different things at once. So that the thing is with following Jesus is, is you get him, you get everything else. If you choose anything else, you lose him, and then you lose everything else. You, you align your life with him, and you align your life with God's wisdom. And where, what's a place where we primarily find God's wisdom? In his word. And so when we, we take the word of God, and we look at it, and we're going to see in James where it talks about looking at a mirror knowing what kind of man you are. And we look at it and we go, okay, interesting. I don't like that. I need a new mirror. Matter of fact, I don't need a mirror. I need People Magazine or something, picture. That's what I look like now. No, it's more, it's not, that's, that's not what you look like. The word of God reveals things in us and it, and it challenges us and it breaks us 
and it shows us where our thinking is off and it might confront your family values and the way you've always, it's always been like this in my family. Well, your family was wrong. My, you know, like, you already know this. You know, like, you already know this. But this, this is the one, this one's untouchable. You know, it's not. And if it is, then they have the ultimate allegiance. You, you guys want to see what I'm saying? Like, this is, this is the, the foundational issue. If we're double-minded, we get nothing. We're, we're going to be swept to and fro. And so when you look at the world around you and you go, it's kind of chaotic. It's kind of crazy. I don't know what's happening. All, you know, whatever. You're just, just going to be like, woof, woof, woof. And you'll be like, I, okay, I've heard three bad things. I need to hear five good things so that I can balance it out and go to sleep at night. This is the kind of uh, uh, allegiance and, and reliance where we're built on the rock in the midst of the storms that says, yeah, all that stuff's happening around me, but I'm on the rock. Rocks don't care about storms. They're just sitting there just like, okay. Oh, yeah, I'm wet. All right, cool. Oh, wet again. Do your worst. It's kind of cleaning me. You're cleaning me. This is like nice, you know, whatever. Rocks don't care. They have no, they're just like, whatever. And that's why, that's why we're told, and there's, you're going to also see throughout uh, this, this letter, there's a bunch of references to the Sermon on the Mount, you know, where, where you see like correlations from where Jesus, like even like a teaching like that, build on the rock, build on the sand. We're building our foundations where they matter, where the storm, the seas, the, the, all of that stuff, the rains, all of it comes and tries to take away, and, and you're built on something that is lasting, that isn't swept to and fro. Now, there's more at stake to that than just your own mental health, which I think is a thing, right? Where you're like, oh, I'm not feeling good, whatever. That's become a word for sure. But you think about the effects of you being swept to and fro by every little thing. What does that do to your family? What does that do to your house? You know kids can tell when stuff's messed up. They just know. There's like uneasiness. There's something going on. What's going on? There's more at stake than we think. About our witness to the world, uh, I think Christians as a whole are doing a terrible job not being swept to and fro by every little thing. Where they are some of the worst culprits of, uh, uh, you know, everything. You're like, oh, what did you expect? And yet God is able to sustain us and to hold us, and he wants us to know that, so that we wouldn't be like those who are swept every single different direction, but that we could be built on the rock, that we could be tried and true. The real thing, built Ford tough. Or Chevy, like a rock. Come on, guys. Just arm wrestle, okay? Get the two CEOs together. Which one is it, you know? But we're able to count trials all joy because we're able to value what they produce. What do they produce in me? It's bringing out something that I would never choose to bring out myself and it's helping me to see, oh my goodness, God, you are Lord there too. And wow, you want me to release that also. Are you sure I've been doing such a poor job with it? Second, we're able to count trials all joy 
because we're not without help. He promises to give wisdom to all those who ask and actually listen. To those who take wisdom and read it and believe it and apply it. I believe it so much, I'll do it. Third, we're able to count trials all joy because they lead us to the rock that remains through the worst of the storms. Testing is meant to show us the dross in our life, realign our priorities and our allegiance, uh, and the one we claim to have allegiance towards. Listen, be all in on his wisdom. There's no turning back. Not double-minded, but believing it enough to apply it. Faith produces action. Wisdom heard and not applied, you don't believe it. We don't believe it. We do this all the time. Sounds like a good verse. Neat. Uh, God, I got to just tell you, like, my circumstances are different. You don't understand. It's a little harder for me. I get it. I get it. For other people, it's great. But for me, I got to do it this way for, you know, just because that's the way it works out with my family. I'm sure you understand. Faith produces action. As we see him faithful, we recognize he will be faithful in the future too. That he's going to do more in us than we ever imagined. That he wants us to experience so much better things. Because he wants us, as we trust him completely, then he has full access to be able to do what he wants with our lives. We're like moldable. We're clay in his hands. Isn't that beautiful? Look at what he does with clay. Think about that just for one second real quick. I'm going to close up. but this was... Think about what he does with clay. Look around you. Look at the Grand Canyon. Look at the mountains. Look at the oceans and the beaches. Look at people. What does he do? With... He does good things. He does beautiful things. And he wants us to trust him to do that in us. That when he tells us that we're his beautiful workmanship, that he cares and he knows and he has a good plan for us. But he wants us to believe it wholeheartedly, not double-minded. There is no turning back. You know the old song, I've decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. There is nothing to go back to. The cross before me, the, is it the world behind me? Right? No turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. Lord, we are, we want to grow and mature and be perfected in your, in your love and in your grace, Lord. And we know trials are nasty and gnarly, and we, sometimes we do not take that lightly, and we do not wish them when they are not supposed to be there. But Lord, we also know that you're able to use all of that for your glory and to reveal to us the stuff that is just, that's just not, not there, not supposed to be there, that's not right. And we pray, Lord, that you would be producing in us a faith that produces uh, this patience that's able to remain and reside even as the hits kind of seem to keep coming, that we would be those who don't give up, but we stick with it and we look to you for wisdom. And we don't just look to you for wisdom, 
but we apply the things you say. We believe the things you say so that we would be those who are single-minded, that know who we are, what we're about, saved by your grace for a purpose, that we get to be a part of something so much greater than we could ever imagine. We get to be a part of that. It's so cool. So help us, Lord, to get our allegiance set. That if there's anything else, Lord, we don't, we don't want to have to learn it through the trials and the testing. We, we want to learn it now if possible. If there's our allegiance and our hearts are set on anything that is not you, Lord, I pray you'd show it to us and help us to deal with that. And anything that is trying to be a God in our life has got to go. So help us to reorder our priorities and our our, um, our hearts follow you fully in Jesus' name. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to join us in person, head over to steadfastcarlsbad.com for more info. God bless.